culture. I, I, I do this for my culture. Black culture and hip hop culture. <laughs> it's Corners of the Culture. With D-Lo and KC. And welcome in to Corners of the Culture. I'm D-Lo. He's KC. Yes, sir. And this podcast is meant to touch every corner that makes up our culture, black culture, and hip-hop culture. We appreciate you so much uh, for being here with us. We appreciate those who have subscribed, rated, and reviewed. We appreciate those who have been with us from the beginning. We appreciate those who are checking in uh, for the very first time. We hope we can bring you something that is both fun uh, and entertaining. Again, subscribing, rating, reviewing, that goes a very long way uh, in helping this podcast grow. Uh, if you're not familiar with the radio show, d with KC, uh, this is kind of an expansion of that show where we put the sports aside, dive into the culture, dive into hip hop, dive into movies, uh, dive into things uh, that we're passionate about. And KC, normally we have a um, we have kind of a set kind of a set topic, a set story, a, a set storyboard, if you will, that we're going to dive into and and dissect and talk about. And that's absolutely the case. Uh, for today, we're going to talk about the the creation hmm. the story behind Rapper's Delight, mm-hmm. and it, this was actually sparked from a, a Twitter message that we were we were tagged in, and I thought, man, like you know, if we really dove into this, it it, it, it could be a, a a good story. We have some fun uh, on dealing with Casey on ESPN thirteen twenty in Sacramento. With I don't have a hate for Rapper's Delight at all. Hmm. But, See, don't see you hear that man making a noise. Don't 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 trust that guy right there. Like I I don't have any hate towards rapper delight. I don't have any hate towards the Sugar Hill Gang at all. I just I think I look at it a little bit differently uh, than other people do. Mm-hmm. And I, we're gonna present the story behind that song, and everybody can form their own conclusion. The song is important. There's no question about that. Um, but. Before we get to that story, and we've never done this here on, on this show where we've interwoven kind of the the story of the podcast with something that's happened currently, but given the fact we just did an episode talking about the complexities of Kanye West, it would probably e- be irresponsible uh, to start this show without addressing what is going on with him. And many in the hip hop world turned against Kanye West a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Many in the black community turned against Kanye West a long time ago. Now, many in the fashion world ha- ha- have turned against Kanye West for for a variety of different reasons. Some of which I'm just learning about uh, right now. Um, mainly, and I'm sure everyone has seen this on on social media here at this point. And if you haven't, uh, Kanye West is part of the Yeezy fashion show in Paris. Uh, revealed a shirt that says in big block letters on the back, white lives matter. Hmm. And man, oh man. And I think he even, I don't think it was a tweet. I think it was an IG story Mm -hmm. that he posted that said black lives matter was a scam. And, Hmm. you know, now it's over. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, Kanye, like, come on, man. Like, I get Kanye's about attention, mm-hmm. but man, this is, I, I, I think he went a little, I think he went a little too far with this one. Uh, I agree. I mean, it's up there with same slavery was a choice man. and that that's really what it comes down to. And it's, um, I remember Van Lathan when he said that at the TMZ studios, um, kind of, 
I, I, I want to say, I don't want to say red because that kind of has a negative connotation. Like, oh, he told him or whatever, but he just talked to him eloquently and explained to him why the things he was saying was hurtful and disrespectful and, and harmful to the the black community. And it, but he was, he was right. Like Kanye says things like this or does things like this. And he just goes back to his own world, his own life. He doesn't understand the ramifications and the level of disrespect saying those type of things um, has. And for him to say or to have, you know, the white lives matter and say what he says about black lives matter being a scam and all this on one end, on one end, you, you just, you, you listen to it and you shake your head and you say, there's Kanye doing Kanye things again. Yeah. On the other end, it's, it's extremely disappointing, extremely disappointing um, to have somebody like Kanye West continue to do these things and continue to um, to perform in this way, to act in this way. White Lives Matter is a hate slogan. Like, don't ever get that twisted. And for the All Lives Matter crowd out there and why can't white lives matter if black lives matter, let, let's let's be clear on one thing. One, we perfectly understand those people probably aren't listening to this podcast. But let's also be clear on this. If you have an issue with Black Lives Matter and you're willing to talk about all lives matter or blue lives matter or why can't white lives matter, mm-hmm. you've clearly identified the root of the problem. And this is as old as the test of time. And believe it or not, this will actually play in today's episode your problem is with the word black Mm. because that's the only thing that you're changing. Mm -hmm. You seem to have no trouble with blue and what that represents. Mm -hmm. You seem to have no trouble with white and what that represents. You seem to have no trouble with all and what that represents. You have an issue with the word black and black has instilled fear in white people for a very, very long time. Again, That's going to play into today's episode to a certain degree, but don't ever get it twisted. White lives matter is hate speech. And Kanye putting that on the back of a shirt as part of a fashion show in Paris is like, yay, hold on, man. Like, wait a minute. (laughs) Black people made you a star. Mm -hmm. The college dropout wasn't pop culture. The college dropout was for the culture. And you're very, very willing to turn your back on them. And I know Kanye is about attention. I know he's an attention, uh, attention seeking whore at this point. Mm-hmm. But man, like you, you, you might have crossed the line here that you can't cross back from. There's another thing that I'm, 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 I'm still like learning about, and it's the Virgil Abloh aspect of this. This two called Virgil his best friend. Virgil, of course, the uh, creative director for Louis Vuitton. He blamed Louis Vuitton for for Virgil's death. He, he, of course, the creator of Off-White. And there are a number of fashion people who are stepping forward like, bro, hold the fuck on. Hmm. You're not doing that. You want to walk around with you. You want you you, you want to hijack your little MAGA fashion show. That's fine you're not going to bring up Virgil's name in all of this. Mm. You trashed Virgil and we all have the receipts for it. Mm-hmm. You go, you don't get to co-op his name right here. You don't get to make him out to be one of your martyrs. You don't get to do any of that. Right. 
this dude is making enemies at every turn. Yeah. And and it's 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 always confusing about who the real Kanye West is. Like I, I think I think one of that discussion is really people like myself and other black people trying to trying to stall him out and trying to hold on hope to somebody that we 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 had so much hope for right and it almost feels like we don't want to say like what he really is because then it'll be like it, it's just giving up on him completely but it's staring you in the face like he's an egotistical asshole <laughs> that's, that's what he is and he doesn't he doesn't care about in my opinion he doesn't care about um the black community and, and, and the well-being of black people if it's not benefiting him you know what i mean if it's not um stroking his ego so to speak if, he, if he's do, if it's doing that then yeah you'll you'll do a lot of stuff for the black community but he doesn't really care about the plight of the everyday man and that's black man, excuse me i think that's the i think that's this unique it's it's rarefied air for Kanye West where he's at right now because you use black people to catapult you to a level that Kanye is at now where I genuinely believe he thinks he no longer needs black people. Mm. I'm going to capitalize on this white market. Well, just like the con, just like the Trump stuff, the MAGA hat, like all of those slavery was a choice. All of those different things. I've exhausted my black audience. Now I can get over here into a different and they'll embrace me. They'll love me because I'm one of the good ones. Hey, Damien, let's just, this is, this is my opinion, but I'll call it the way I've seen it. He's always searched for acceptance from white people. That's always, he hasn't cared about the, 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 the black audience or the hip hop audience. He's always think about everything. He's always been upset with is because he couldn't get the acceptance of, of white America. And he's yeah. always been seeking that out. And this is no different. It's weird, man. He, he's so, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. This, this, this isn't new. It's just magnified. Mm -hmm. Great point. It's just another chapter. Yeah. <laughs> like It's just another chapter. And, um, you know, like I said, one of the things when I talk about, like we were, we're, we're, we don't want to say what it really is, is, um, you know, this is who he's always shown himself to be. This is who he's always shown himself to be. And we, we make excuses for it because, you know, he does, um, Sunday service or, you know, he does different things here and there. And we say, oh, you know, he's just, he's not well, you know, or, you know, he's just, you know, he hasn't been right since his mom passed and all this other stuff. Like at some point, this is just who he is. Like, these are the, these are the things that he's done repeatedly for a decade plus now. This is who he is. And making the excuse, I don't, because I, I don't take the mental health thing lightly. And I don't want to say he doesn't have that. But I, I also felt like he used that as an excuse and as crutch for his poor decision making and poor behavior. And I didn't like that either. So That's I'm not going to use that as an excuse for him. This is who he is. That's a really frustrating aspect about mental health is that it's so it's not like you can't pinpoint it. Mm -hmm. like if I'm missing an arm, you know, I'm missing an arm. If my 
ankles broken, you know, my ankles broken, but with mental health, it's, it's indefinable. Like you, 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 it's the, it's silent. Right. And that's, that's really what the greatest concern about it is. But the problem is, is it's become such a big topic. It's been able to mask stupid behavior. Mm. Like Kanye is, is, is it people talk about Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown isn't mentally ill. I mean, Antonio Brown's a piece of shit. Mm. That's all this boils down to. And, 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 oh, I hope Antonio's okay. Somebody get Antonio Brown some help. Man, fuck Antonio Brown at this point. Like, it, it, we've got to stop framing bad people with mental health. Mm-hmm. Kanye mm-hmm. just may be a dude who's, he's, he's a narcissist. He's capitalistic. It may be nothing more than that. We can bring his mom into the equation. Hey, th- th- praise God, my mom is still here. I don't know what it's like to lose a mom, but if if or if we're really hiding behind that forever and no one has gotten this dude some help, hmm. yo, that falls on the dudes closest to him. Yep. I'm I'm not gonna feel bad if something happens to him. That's not on me. That's on the people that are around him every day. Yep. That's on those people who stick cameras in his face when they think something is going wrong. That's on those people. That ain't on us. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, and I will say it's unfortunate because, you know, I, I feel like uh, Kanye, when he first jumped on the scene, at least nationally, you know, it, it was it was a breath of fresh air. It was something different in the, the culture. And he, he, you know, on a number of different occasions, uh, gave a breath of uh, fresh air. And you're so hopeful for what he could be and what he could represent. And he's he's just fallen short and disappointed time after time. So we're going to do something we normally don't do. We're going to acknowledge that this show actually has a commercial break because I don't know how to segue into the rapper's story behind Rapper's Delight. So we'll allow this podcast to be paid for, and then we'll come back and we'll get into the story behind Rapper's Delight. Okay, now that we got that all out of the way, let's 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 get into this because I I, I want to be clear to you. I want to be clear to everybody who's familiar with Dilo and Casey. Rapper's Delight has a a, a phenomenal place in history, mm-hmm. um, but I think the story behind it is interesting. Like that, the, there are pieces of it that were on uh, the Netflix series Hip Hop Evolution. Mm-hmm. There are things that I've learned along the way, and I just think it's a it's a story that always causes me to look at the record with a little bit of side eye. Mm. And and we can get into some of those things. This was really birthed by uh shout out to our guy. I think it's Rockin' Era 84 who tagged us in a a, a, a Twitter post about, you know, this is, is this the first rap song ever recorded? And it was like a doo-rop record from the 1940s. Yes, then the bear reached out to give the Reverend a hug like you would hug a long-lost friend. But old Reverend put on that disappearing act, he went splitting through the wind. And I think understanding the evolution of music is important to understanding rap and understanding hip-hop. And we talked about this a little bit in uh, episode number one of Corners in the Co- of the Culture, which I, I strongly encourage, if you haven't, go back and listen to it. Um, but we covered that more from like the inception of the hurt party and grandmaster flash and African bombada and kind of the growth from there, rather than if you go back to the very, very beginning and you're just talking about black music, you could argue rap started with the blues and, and rap is nothing more than an evolution of the blues. I would argue most black music is nothing more 
than an evolution of the blues because that's where it started. And then the blues became rhythm and blues. And then with rhythm and blues, there was a, a 50s, 60s version. And this was the video that we were tagged in. That was like a doo-wop mm-hmm. version. Doo-wop is rapping to a rhythm. That's all rap music is. And it's always been told that, oh, the rappers, rappers delight. That's that's it's, it's a, you know, hip hop existed or rap existed before rappers delight, but this was the first rap record. This was the first rap put on vinyl. Yeah. That's not true. It was the, it was certainly the most successful. I mean, and if you really want to like nitpick, I've been able to find two. So at worst, it's third. Okay. <laughs> like, like it's not but the but the point is like it's not first. Like if there were two black people in Major League Baseball before Jackie Robinson, Jackie Robinson isn't first. <laughs> Rapper's Delight isn't first, but it's the biggest. And I think there's there's a song called Rhyming and Rapping by Paulette and Tanya Winley. It was recorded in 1979. It was recorded right before uh Rapper's Delight was. And it's it's out there. You can hear it. It sounds exactly like you'd expect a 1979 rap with two women to sound like. Everybody rocking the mic, you see. My brother gangs them, my sister sweet tea. And all I did was listen to them and dance. Then finally I said, hey, it's my chance to rock the mic, to make you high. I showed you that. And then there was a record that came out that had a, a little bit of success. It was called King Tim the Third by the Fatback Band. And it, it was called the King Tim the Third Personality Jock. And the Fatback Band, they categorized this as like country funk. Uh, okay. They didn't know to call it rap music. <laughs> it, it's rap. Like it's hip hop. Like you go back and you listen to it. But what can, what, what threw people is when you play the record, the guy who is quote rapping sounded like a radio personality. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a radio personality talking over an instrumental, talking over a funky beat. Mm-hmm. And you go back and you listen to like Frankie Crocker at the time. That's that's what black on air personalities sounded like. A lot of rap music is taken directly from DJs like Frankie Crocker, right. from radio personalities who a glide in your stride and a dip in your hip. You listen to Frankie Crocker here. Like if you're not listening to Frankie Crocker, are you even listening to the radio? Like that's yeah. what radio jocks. That was a great Frankie Crocker, by the way. What's that? That was a good Frankie Crocker, by the way. I like that. It's just the slow, smooth delivery. Cause that's Frankie Crocker. And like, that's, that's what it all sounded like. So they, the, you know, radio stations, including Frankie Crocker got this record and they were like, Yo, is this dude making fun of me? <laughs> what is this? All right, y'all. Here we go. You just clap your hands and you stomp your feet because you're listening to the sound of the show. I'm the K-I-N-G, the G-I-M, King Tim the Third. And it was right, right after that Rapper's Delight came out. And the story behind how Rapper's Delight was formed. Did you ever watch... I knew if I didn't write it down, I'd forget it. The get down on. Yeah. Much like, like, like many other series that I have started. I have not finished it. You're the worst. You're yeah, the worst. Really am. No, no, I am. I'm bad at that. I don't, I don't, I don't Kenny's, literally seen, never Kenny's, Kenny's like LeBron James with a book. 
LeBron James has read like the first couple of pages of every classic in history. <laughs> okay, I'm going to edit this out. LeBron James has read the first page of like every great book in history. And that's Kenny. Kenny has watched one episode of every series that was ever put out. If you ever ask Kenny, hey, did you see this? I saw the episode. I didn't get back to it. I was watching whack baseball that day. Yeah, I had to watch uh, UOP versus St. Mary's or something like that. I think I've seen about three or four episodes of the Get Down. Really liked it. Like there was no reason why I stopped watching it. I'm want to finish it, but uh, yeah, I haven't seen the whole thing. So it's a it's a it's a the Get Down on Netflix is a, a a fictionalized version of a very real story with very you know real people. And when you know the story of hip hop. You know, they use Grandmaster Flash's name and African Bombada and Herc and all of that stuff, but they don't use the name Sylvia Robinson. There is a very real Sylvia Robinson in the story. And Sylvia Robinson was she was a part of a record label with her husband, Joe Robinson, who. You know, Joe, Joe was one of those guys who knew everybody. Right. If you go back and Sylvia Robinson had an R&B record and, you know, she did the Soul Train hit. And if you go back and you find that and you see Sylvia Robinson talking to Don Cornelius, Don Cornelius, his first thing is, so how's your handsome Robinson? How's your ha handsome husband, Joe Robinson? Like people knew who Joe Robinson was mm -hmm. Didn't have the best uh, reputation in terms of how we took care of artists and, 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 and with this black owned label that they had. And there there's 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 talk that 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 joe robinson had a nickname and joe and sylvia uh Ro robinson had a nickname and, and they called him uh joe robin nigga because uh, oh, okay. he wouldn't pay people mm -hmm. and that factors into this story as we move along but sylvia was uh you know the the, the the record label had died down her music career wasn't really doing anything she was getting you know she had to go to a party she went to this party at you know some club in new york and she heard what essentially she heard rapping. Uh, she heard love bug Starsky talking on a microphone. Like there were records playing in a club and she heard love bug Starsky talking over the record, rapping over the record. She's like, yo, what is this? And at the time, as we outlined in episode number one, rap, that was a, a like a, that was a live performance. Mm-hmm. That's what it was like. It wasn't out on vinyl. It wasn't out like on the radio. It was it was for the clubs of New York yeah. and absolutely nothing else. And Sylvia heard that like, oh, my God, yo, we could do something with this. This is incredible. This is the most energetic thing I've ever seen at the time. Yo, I'm going to do something with this. She wanted to get Love Bug Starsky to record what she heard in the club that day. Yeah. And Starsky was like, Psh nah this isn't you don't record this yeah it's based on the crowd this is based on the field this is based on music you don't you don't you don't record this stuff so sylvia was like cool i'll find somebody else to do it hmm. and she went searching for 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 different people who they all turned her down either because they believed it was a live art form or they found another rapper who was very well known in New York named Casper. Hmm. She got Casper to do it. Casper was all in. She's supposed to come into the studio. Couldn't find Casper. Where's Casper? They finally tracked him down like two weeks later. He was like, yeah, my fam told me not to work for the Robinsons. We heard about hmm. y'all. 
Mm. And they were like, yo, I know someone. <laughs> this sounds funny. <laughs> I know someone. He works at Krispy Crust Pizza. He can <laughs> rap, though. And that was Big Bank Hank. And so they go to Krispy. They, 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 they go to Krispy Crust Pizza, pull Big Bank Hank out and have him recite these rhymes that he memorized because Big Bank Hank was working with the Cold Crush Brothers yep. and Grandmaster Cass. And he was rapping routines that he memorized from the Cold Crush Brothers. Right. So he wasn't rapping his own lyrics. He was reciting theirs. And Sylvia's like, oh, this is, this is incredible. Is you... Wonder Mike came along, did the same thing. Like they, they were literally just like auditioning people outside of this pizza place. Hmm. The kicker was it wasn't in New York. It was in Inglewood, New Jersey. Hmm. So you had these brothers adopting this art form from New York who lived in Inglewood, New Jersey, and we're going to go record this record. What was the biggest song at the time? Guess. The biggest song at the time they were going to record this. It was the number one record in America. What year is this again? 1979. 1979. I, I don't expect you to know the answer. I just thought you might ironically be able to guess. I don't know. It's good times. Good, good times. By she. <laughs> good, good times. Yeah. So in the club, you've got a DJ playing good times. And and MCs will rap over it. Guys like Love Bug, Starsky, Casper, DJ Hollywood, they'll talk over it. They'll rap over it. Mm -hmm. Not with Sylvia Robinson. Sylvia Robinson wanted to eliminate the DJ. So what'd she do? She called a a uh, some musicians that they knew. I, I believe the group was called Positive Force. Mm -hmm. you know, we want to replicate good times. Can you do that? Yeah, we could do that. Okay, here's what you need to do. Replicate good times for like 15 minutes. <laughs> All right. Great. That's what they did. They replicated good times for 15 minutes, put it on a track, came in. And that's how the recording with Big Bang Hank. Oh, the, 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 I told you Big Bang Hank just uh, when he auditioned, he memorized some lines from the Cold Cat Crush Brothers. Yeah. He went to Grandmaster Kaz and says, yo, I got to record this record. I need some rhymes. And the way the story is told, Kaz was like, here, threw one of his books at him. Mm -hmm. It was like, do whatever you want with it because no one saw rap. No one saw this live performance art form as something you were going to put on the record and play on the radio. Like no one saw that this was strictly for the clubs. Right. So Kaz didn't ask for any money. He didn't ask for anything. He just threw the book at him and said, do what you want. Right. You know, he did because there's a line where big bank Hank spells out Casanova fly. Yeah. I'm a -S -N -O -E -N -V -N. I can't spell Casanova and the rest is F-L-Y yep. that's cat that's Kaz's nickname the the other thing change it just kept, just kept it right there in the lyrics the the other thing about that which is pretty shady from from Big Bang Hank is Casanova like they I, I think the story goes Big Bang Hank was managing them he was the manager yep so Sylvia Robinson comes up to him and says, Hey, you know, we're trying to do this. Do you know anybody that, you know, can do it or can you do it? And he's like, sure, I can do it. Whereas if you're a manager, you should be like, no, I got some guys that definitely can do this out of, for no apparent reason. He goes, yeah, I can do it. I got it. Yeah. And it's like, and that's where Casanova fly. I always talk about like, Oh, 
all right, if that's what you were doing, you're managing us. I thought we were supposed to be good. You, if they're looking for rappers, you know what we do. Why don't you, why didn't you put us on to the whole deal? And, and he didn't. And, and even down to the point where he's rapping <laughs> Casanova Fly's name in, in the lyrics. Crazy. It's, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. So on Chic released Good Times on June 4th, 1979. On August 18th, Good Times became the number one song in the country. Number one song on the, on the, on the Billboard 100. Mm-hmm. Rapper's Delight was recorded August 2nd. 16 days before Good Times became number one. Mm-hmm. And it was released September 16th, a month after Good Times became number one. So it hit the record stores. More importantly, it hit the clubs in New York. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the bass drum would hit and people think it was Good Times. <laughs> and then they heard the rapping. There's a story that Nile Rogers of, of, of Sheik was in a New York club and he heard the bass line for his record come on and then he heard someone rapping. So he looked at the stage to see who was rapping. There's no one there. Right. So he walks up to the DJ booth and goes, he's looking around like, yo, who's talking on my record? Yeah. And he's like, no, this is a record I picked up in Harlem today. And Sheik looks at it like, the fuck is this? See Sugar Hill Gang. Sugar Hill Gang, they didn't consult Sheik. They 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 were like they they had no idea what this would become. Mm-hmm. So uh Niall Rogers and Bernard Edwards who, who made up Sheik, they 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 thought they never thought to give them producing credits, writing credits, none of that until yeah. Sheik sued them. Like, yo, that's our record. Right. Like you co-opt our record when it was number one to make this rapper's delight song, which was 15 minutes long. Crazy. And they tell the story about how Frankie Crocker played the whole thing and radio stations would call over and over and over and over, or, or people would call radio stations over and over and over again to get the 15 minute version in the in the stations in New York finally would 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 tell you, hey, it's it's a uh, WXKIP, don't worry, rapper's delight coming up in 45 minutes here on your number one soul station or whatever and then they'd keep you know, they'd keep going because people would call so much for it. They would put it on a schedule. This was probably the birth of power records. <laughs> right. Every hour and 15 minutes, please stop calling us. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, that's, that's how it, it all started. Right. And it's the song reached number four on the billboard hot soul singles, which is funny because there's nothing, I guess when black, Artists are involved. You just put soul in it. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, you got to throw soul on it. So, and, and, and we talked. You know, we talked earlier in our, our our brief Kanye conversation about people being scared of the word black, and radio stations recognize this too because there used to be black radio stations, mm-hmm. and that's what they were called. They were called black radio stations, even if they were black owned radio stations, black radio stations, stations that played black music. That's what you were. You were a black radio station until someone realized. <sighs> It might be scaring off advertisers. Hmm. What do you want to? What do you want us to do? Well, let's come up with a different name for it. And this this still lives today. Thus, the birth of urban and temporary. Mm. Mm. That's crazy, though. Like we crazy. don't want to use the word black, so we're going to use the term urban contemporary and make it more comfortable. For advertisers make it more 
comfortable for white people. Oh, this is urban. You can listen to this. You like this. This is good music here for you. But for some reason, Rappers are like got the soul uh, attached to it. And it reached number four. It was like 36, I think, on the Billboard 100. So it wasn't a massive. I thought it might have got it to, to number one. I I didn't know at all. I thought it got to number one at one point. but I, I know years later, The Message, and which was another Sylvia Robinson act, the Grandmaster Flash. And, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was another that was another Sylvia Robinson act and uh the message and oh man, what's the other one? Oh, Planet Rock. Mm. They got to number three. Mm. They got to number three on the Billboard 100, and those were the those were the the the, the, the highest charting rap songs uh to date. They had gotten to number three. But for you know, this the thing with Rappers Delight at the time it was released, it was the first, it was a street genre. So the fact that it got to 36 was a pretty big deal. And no one has any idea how many records it actually sold mm-hmm. because, again, Joe Robinson wasn't the most uh, ethical. <laughs> yeah. So th- there's there's always been like Joe probably sold as many records through the back door mm-hmm. as he did the front door. And they've always estimated the sales at like maybe eight to ten million, but yeah. no one has, no one has any idea. You can't, you can't tell. It's like Negro League baseball home run totals. You just don't. <laughs> that's a hundred percent it. By the way, fun hip hop note: the club that Sylvia went to, where she saw Love, uh, Love Bug Starsky performing, uh-huh. and heard rap music for the first time, was called Harlem, Harlem World. Oh snap! <laughs> so uh, a, a, a a call to the bad boy era. Yeah, uh, right yeah. So okay, all right. There's lots to unpack here, lots to dissect. Because I'm I'm learning stuff as I listen to you, the great historian that is Damian Barley. Hotel, motel, Holiday Inn. It's DJ Hollywood. It's DJ. Yeah, like so. There aren't very many original lines in 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 in, and i think that's why i always get i always get a little caught up with this song because it's it's not you you just and 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 yo it's it's these it's love bug starsky dj hollywood these are all guys who turned away from it and said no well this is a a live performance art We're, we're we're not going to do this on record whereas these guys were like oh we'll do it right so that's that's where i want to ask the question how do we look at Sylvia Robinson and the Sugar Hill Gang? Because, because, uh, and you can help me out with this one. Sylvia Robinson, we know the reputation that her and her husband had, or whatever the case may be. But it seems like she heard the the rap for the first time, and from a positive place, was like, "This is amazing! Like, I want this to be on records. Like, this is so dope." And she pushed to make that happen. Now, like if we were making a movie about this, she would probably come off as like a villain, mm-hmm. right? Because the way the story is told. But all she did was she heard it. And she's like, this is dope. Like I want, maybe she was like, yeah, I can make money off of this. Sure, I understand that. But she, she still saw it as something like, this is awesome. Like I want to do this. I want to be a part of this. I want to I want to make a lot of money off of this, whatever. But she looked at it. Is it safe to say in a genuine way? Maybe not. I don't know. But how, let's start with her. How do we look at Sylvia Robinson? It, 
she was a record producer, right? She was, I'll give Sylvia credit. Like she was a record producer Mm -hmm. and there aren't very many record producers, writers who don't draw from real life experience to like, I was listening to Kenya Barris with, with Ebro in the morning today. Mm -hmm. And we we all know this. This isn't you know this this wasn't breaking news. Blackish is based on his family, mm-hmm. like the bro mitzvah, like all of that stuff. That's his. That like I think bro mitzvah was actually Anthony Anderson's son. Like I think bro, I learned he uh, Anthony Anderson owns the trademark to bro mitzvah. If you remember <laughs> that, if you remember that episode of Blackish, but like you you draw on real life experiences to to tell your story. Yeah. Sylvia's drawing on an experience out like at a club like this is incredible. You're looking out, you're visually seeing it. You're seeing the response to music and that's that's something that if you're chic or you're earth wind and fire or or you're or you're Jay-Z and you're recording a record in a studio without an audience. You don't see the response to it. Right. Sylvia was in a club seeing an immediate reaction to a genre of music that most people weren't familiar with. Right. I don't fault Sylvia Robinson in this. I don't, I mean, there's nothing to fault her for. Like, it's not like a crime was committed. I don't fault Sylvia Robinson at all. The, the other reason why, and I, once again, I'd love to hear somebody tell me maybe I shouldn't stall her out or anything, but the other reason why I'll stall her out a little bit is it seems as though, she did what we would want to do, what you were quote unquote supposed to do. She went to the real people of the art. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm coming to you. It's not like she heard it and immediately went to the Sugar Hill Gang. She went to the people who created this and said, "Hey, I'm the guy she's all doing it." Yeah. Right. I, I want. I want you guys to do this. And they said no. And she's like, "Well." Okay, well, I still want to do this, so I need to find somebody who will get it done. But she went to the to the to the source first. Mm-hmm. So I'll give her that too. I have no beef with Sylvia Robinson at all. Mm-hmm. She's she might be the f- she might be the first major scale black producer, music producer in the country. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know who would be before her. At that time, you know, in the, yeah, I, I mean, Quincy, what's the timeline with Quincy? Is that a little later? Well, no, Quincy was Quincy. I think Quincy may have produced Ray Charles. Yeah, that 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 might be off a little bit. Maybe it's her own. Maybe 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 it's the maybe record label exec might be a better term for her. Um, though she she was behind the kind of the creation of the sound of what Rappers Delight became. She was, she was even, there's, you know, again, to, to, to kind of the Sylvia Robinson story, a lot of the, a lot of people were against in terms of releasing it, um, the message, Mm. what am I going to do? Like, people can't dance to this. This is depressing as hell. Mm -hmm. Sylvia's like, no, this is real life. You've, you've, you've got to put this out there. This has a, this has a, 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 a a sound that's real that people will be able to relate to. Mm. And she was right. not every rap record you needed to dance to it's what we knew at the time i say we because obviously i was in the south bronx at the time (laughs) we knew at the time but it was different and it became a smash hit 
Right. Just like I, rappers delight was. I think we we have we have um we have uh taken all blame away from Sylvia Robinson. She is free of charge, free to go. Nothing wrong with her. Yep. Now let's get to the Sugar Hill gang. <laughs> now let's get to them. And all right. I think they they got a lot of I don't even want to use this term, but I'll just use a lot of blood on their hands in this whole situation. And we'll start start with Big Bank Hank. Simply because you weren't a rapper and you had rappers that you could at the very least ask them if they want to do this. Mm-hmm. And you didn't. Mm-hmm. You saw, now maybe you could say he, he was, you know, an opportunist. Or maybe he saw something that so many other people didn't see. Like, because when you talk about this story and you, you break it down, it's not like when Sylvia Robinson said this and, you know, presented it to Big Bang Hank and a whole bunch of other um, rappers and MCs. It's not like they knowingly were turning down a lottery ticket. Like, nobody thought this was going to be much of anything. Right. Like, okay, whatever. I'm going to record a record. Talk about guys, no friends. Here, take it, man. Like, it's it's not a big deal. And maybe Big Bang Hank was the one that saw the potential in what this could become. That doesn't that still doesn't excuse him for just kind of being a weasel about the whole situation and not at least going through the proper channels with the with the group that he was managing and seeing if they wanted to be a part of it first. But do you do you think he is a little bit of an innovator as far as like what he saw the potential of this opportunity being? So I'm going to bring in a, a, a weird name here. You remember that woman? I, I, I think it was Rachel Dolze. Rachel, yeah, yeah. She was the, she was a white woman who in, in her eyes, she lived her life as a black woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was like the head. I, <laughs> I tried not to. <laughs> Rachel had weird braids and everything. <laughs> it's really weird because she doesn't look black to me at all. Like she she did a great job with the hair and and makeup, but like, yo, black people have features. Yeah, she's over all of them. <laughs> like she ain't got a black feature in sight. No lips whatsoever. No. <laughs> None, but she was the head of an yeah in in like Washington or something. Right. She worked her life for the advancement of black people, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but she's a joke. Mm -hmm. Didn't she do good? I know, right? I know. I know exactly. Didn't she fight for good? Like, wasn't like we talk about being for the culture. You talk about the advancement of black people. Regardless of how she was living her life, she fought for the advancement of Mm -hmm. black people, whether it be black men or black women or whatever. And even more important than that, Damien, which is why I, you know, I don't look at her as a joke, right? It was from a pure place. Right. She did it feeling and believing in and living that black is beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, it wasn't um, an opportunist or nothing like that. She's like, no, this is black is beautiful. It's a beautiful culture. I want to make sure everything is done right by them. It was, at least from everything that I know, it was from a pure place. 
that's that's the wild part about it. It wasn't like she was Clayton Bigsby. No. Like, you know what I mean? Like she like that's 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 different. Like she yeah. was out there and and so I've always had a difficult time. Like if 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 someone lives their life, if 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 a if a white person stands in front of you and says, "I live my life as black." Uh, okay. Well, you probably ain't getting pulled over. You probably ain't getting followed around the store. You ain't dealing with all the the stereotypes that black people deal with. So, so what are you doing? Well, I've started this food program or this uh, clothing program, or I, I've started this inner city this, or I've started this about schools. It's like, oh, pff, live on, dog. Do your thing. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the Sugar Hill Gang or the Rachel Dolce of hip hop. <laughs> they came from a pure place. It's fraudulent in many ways. Mm-hmm. There are probably different ways you should have handled this, but ultimately it did good. Mm-hmm. Big Bank Hank did good. One of the, one of the things that just kind of rubs me wrong is like I I I you know I I study this stuff and I heard you know Wonder Mike telling a story about uh, a hip hop prohibited a hip a hip hip hop you know and how he he came up with that and. And and how he used it, and it was something him and his friends used to say. Like, man, no, it wasn't. That's where they lose me, you, and everybody else. And it's like when the story, when one aspect of the story falls apart, to me, the rest of the story there, it's crumbs at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 where I constantly like, like even in studying this, I st- I came across that that. Uh, Hip hop, hip to hip. I came across that in the study for this podcast. I didn't know it prior to a week ago, mm-hmm. uh, like that it, it come from somewhere else. And then I came across this one of my conversation where he was talking about how he came up with it, and he wanted to, you know, he wanted to define what they were doing in hip hop. It's like, no, you, no, this is not even remotely true. Mm. And that's just once, once I find a morsel of falsehood, mm-hmm. it becomes really difficult to rectify the rest of the story. And that's where the Sugar Hill Gang collectively always loses me. And that's completely understandable. The lips. It's the lips. Every time I look at the lips and I go, this isn't real. (laughs) I can't reconcile the lips. Every time I look at this, it's not real. And and that's completely understandable, right? Because they're the only people that corroborate their story. Everybody else around them is like, nah, they stole this from this and yep. they did this and that. And they're still holding on to it, right? And I feel like they would get so much more respect for, like you said, doing good. Like they, regardless if they were meant to be the first ones or the right place, the right time, whatever, they launched a genre. Mm-hmm. And they, they deserve respect for that. And they can get so much more if they just told the real story. Yeah. I don't think there's any shame in the real That's story. Right. There's nothing wrong with the real story. Yeah, there's no shame in it, except for like if you're Big Bang Hank and you could have went to your homies who were rappers and said, "Hey," Which, but even then, just you could like years later, he, he could Big Bang Hank could say, "You know what? I probably handled that wrong. That's it. You've done this. My bad. My bad." And I think people would be like, "Yeah, well, I understand. You 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 adopted things that you saw, and you." you put them on record. You, you took stuff that you saw from clubs. No one else was putting it on record. Mm-hmm. You were innovators. Mm-hmm. You were, you were amongst the first to do it. Acknowledge how you did it. That's it. All right. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. 
nobody's going to look at you as uh, the frauds that we already look at you as. So, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> no one's going to look at you as a white woman with no lips. Let's just say that. No one's going to look at you like that at all. <laughs> By the way, I, I think most people know this. You know, Big Bang Hank isn't here anymore. So, like, you know, it, it, he has a place in hip hop's history. Absolutely. One to Mike, Master G, wherever you are, in the, 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 you got an NBA team near you. You probably see him at halftime at some point. They'll they'll do Rappers Delight and they'll do Apache and and their records. All of their records were modeled after the after the success of the Sugar Hill Gang. Apache is an often sampled breakbeat at the time. Um, Apache wasn't even their second big hit. Their second big hit is escaping, but it's the same thing. It's like a, it's like a, what is basically a, a disco track. We're rapping over it. They, okay. they, they, they followed that, that success. It, it, it worked for them. They, 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 they have their place in history. Uh, Rapper's delight absolutely has its place in history. It, in terms of music, in terms of bars, it was <laughs> funny thing is the only part that I, haven't been able to trace to anybody that I believe is a hundred percent theirs. Mm -hmm. Have you ever went over a friend's house to eat and the food just ain't no good? Just the corniest bullshit part from the whole song. Sounds like them. That's theirs. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that absolutely sounds. <laughs> and I know people like like that part, and I know people in the food just ain't no good. They love that. <laughs> But it's corny as fuck. Like that's that's almost like a parody of rap. Yeah. Like when 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 Mel Brooks came out with his parody rap record, and and Rodney Dangerfield and all these comedians were like, "Oh, we're gonna make rap records now." Right. That's what I envision it is. Have you ever went over a friend's house to eat and the food just ain't no good? Like, what the fuck <laughs> are you talking about? It's why Grandmaster Kaz, it's why you know Melly Mel and Herc and and, and African Bombada and all them dudes of that time were like, yo, that is not our music. What nobody in Studio 54 <laughs> talking about fried chicken and the chicken tastes like wood. What nobody doing that? Yeah. And 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 uh on an this also probably goes into a bigger discussion that's almost a current event that you know maybe we'll get into you know maybe next week or something like that with Mia as well. But about DJ Academics and what he had to say about the pioneers of hip hop and L Cool J responded to him with, whereas you know you look at you know DJ Cass and all these other guys who who started this. They started it. They're the, the, the founding fathers of this art form and this genre. And they had no money to show for it, really. Because nobody looked at it like you just broke down. Like rap and putting something on record, nobody looked at it as a money-making opportunity or a business model or anything like that. Nobody even could fathom that. And that's kind of where where we were with this with the sugar. The only person that saw it, I believe, and, and like I said, I maybe Big Bang Hank was a visionary with it. I don't I don't know. But the only person that saw they could make money off it, it seems to be Sylvia Robinson. Yeah. Not no rappers, not no DJs. Yep. Nobody looked at it as something that we could actually make some money off of. There's only one person. So 
yeah, they, they, I'm sure if all these other people that were, you know, um, approached with the opportunity, knew what it could be, had any semblance of it, sure, they would, would have hopped on it. We all know that. But that's just not the time. That wasn't what was going on at the time. Nobody believed that it was anything other than a, what it was at a house party, a club, or in the park. And I think one of the reasons that Sylvia gets vilified the way that she does is this wasn't, although it 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 played into the story of of the Sugar Hill Gang with 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 Positive Force recreating good times. It came more into play with Grandmaster Flash in the Furious Five mm-hmm. when um, when. They didn't need Grandmaster Flash. Mm-hmm. Grandmaster Flash was the DJ. Yeah. And they didn't, he was, they they didn't have DJ spinning records. That's what not they? how they created the music. They were like, what are we going to use to rap over? Because that's all you were doing at the time was essentially using disco hits mm-hmm. and rapping over them. Like, no, no, no. You don't need to mix that record. We'll have the house band do it. We'll mm-hmm. bring in people to do that. We're not going to do the record thing. We're going to have a band do it. So, in the in the origins of hip hop, the DJ was the most important part. First, he was the star. Eliminated the DJ, right? And it's like, no, Flash, you could be here. We don't really need you, though, right? And she gets no love for that. I, I agree with everybody else for that. She because because now you're really you're you're bastardizing the art form. You know what I mean? Like that's that's part of the art form is, is the DJ and then the MC who, who talks over the the break and all that. like. Now you're like, uh, we don't need the DJ. We don't need the DJ. Well, that's that's part of the art. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just say, no, it comes together. Everybody comes together. You can't say, no, we'll use a live music. So that one, Sylvia, I can't defend her on that one. We can get into the academic stuff next week and in, 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 in pioneers versus, uh, you know, new artists and, and all of that. We hope you enjoyed this. A little bit of history. Um, again, Sugar Hill Gang is really important. Mm-hmm. Sylvia Robinson is extremely important. Um, there's just a few little bumps along the way in our just adoring of Rapper's Delight. And that's where I'm always like, uh, <laughs> all right, like I get it. But come on, man. <laughs> Nobody want to listen to this shit for 15 minutes either. Like, That's let's go. Like, wait a minute. What are you doing? <laughs> Just a damn minute. 15 world, minutes. World world went nuts when 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 Jay-Z put out a thesis for three and a half minutes on a guest appearance. Well, nobody want to hear you talk about chicken and hip hop and motels for 15. And rap names that aren't yours. Right. <laughs> I'm the C-A-S-N. <laughs> F-L-Y. Like, no, you're Big Bang Hank. What do you mean, Casanova Fly? Grandmaster Cass, one of the coldest dudes. If you could dig up Grandmaster Cass rhymes, and they're really hard to find from back then, you can catch some of them on uh, Hip Hop Evolution. Mm. <sighs> that boy is bad. Cold, man. That it's boy cold. is bad. Cold Crush Brothers, man. They are bad. Uh, we appreciate you guys so much for being with us again. Subscribe, rate, review, share this episode and all episodes with your friend. Uh, If you're jumping into the podcast late and you haven't caught episode number one, man, that's a great companion piece here uh, for this episode. So go back and and take a listen to that uh, in the archives and uh, 
Make sure you got your alerts on. Another episode dropping next week. It's Corners of the Culture with D-Lo and KC. Holla.